good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As everyone is starting to continue to make their way in, getting kids checked in, we'll go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, if you are a guest with us, worshiping with us today, uh, visiting, glad that you're here. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us. If you are a guest, we would love to connect with you and the best and easiest way for you to do that is right now at this very second to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen. 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT right now right where you are. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions. Just so we know who you are, that you are here, how we can pray for you, minister to you in the best way possible. Because uh, again, we are so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. But for everyone, uh, I've got three big announcements for us, all right? Three big announcements for everyone to know what's going on here at Southview, how you can get plugged in and be a part of what the Lord is doing here. Big announcement number one, next Sunday, July 4th, we're going to have one service at 11 o'clock, all right? So this service will not exist, okay? Uh, I already talked to Pastor Scott, you can come and sit in for the band rehearsal at 9.30, but that's about it, all right? 11 o'clock next week, no journey groups are going to be meeting, no kids ministry, no youth at 9.30, everything just in here at 11 o'clock. We're doing that obviously because being 4th of July weekend, it's a heavy travel weekend. We know a lot of our people are going to be gone. We understand that. Go enjoy your vacation. Have a good time. But for those of us who are in town, we're going to have one service to help um, alleviate child care concerns and that sort of thing. So one service next Sunday, 11 o'clock. Right here in this room, we're going to be coming together and talking about how we seek to depend on the Lord on this Independence Day. And so come and be a part of that. That's next Sunday at 11 o'clock. Also, for those of you who are uh, starting to come and be a part of our church, we've got our next new members uh, class starting. That's going to be July 11th, 18th, and 25th. It lasts for three weeks during this 930 time. Just text the word MEMBER to 910-424-1298. That'll get you signed up for that class. Uh, just text MEMBER there, get you signed up, ready to go. Uh, and so you'll be able to learn just what it means. What, what, uh, things like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Then what does it mean to be a part of a church? And then we dive into what does it mean to be a Christian member of Southview Baptist Church. So sign up for that, text MEMBER to our number so you can sign up and be a part of that class. Again, the 11th, the 18th, and the 20th. And then our last uh, big announcement is this. For everyone here, if you call Southview Baptist your home church, we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear that Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And as Christians, what we believe is this. We believe by faith in Jesus, and then Jesus literally comes and lives inside of us. Galatians 2.20 says, it is no longer I who live, but Jesus lives in me and through me by faith. So that means whatever is true of Jesus, he now by faith in him lives out in me. So here's what that means. Jesus is the great servant. Again, he came to serve and not to be served. And as a result of that, what that means is as followers of Jesus, we are called to serve. It's who we are. It's not just something that we should do. It is who we are. So for everyone that's a part of Southview, we believe it is God's plan that you serve the body of Christ in some way. We believe that God called you to that. We believe that Jesus has saved you for that and he has gifted you for that. And so we want everybody to serve. So if you are a part of Southview, that you consider this your home, even if you're not a member yet, but you consider Southview your home, we have some serving opportunities for you as well. 
If you would like to serve in some way, you believe that God is calling you to that, again, we're just going to ask you to text the word serve. Serve to 910-424-1298. Text serve. We'll send you a link. It's going to give you a whole list of serving opportunities, things that you might be interested in. You can click on that. That doesn't automatically sign you up for anything, but it just lets us know you're interested. We'll reach out to you and talk to you about the possibilities of you connecting in that ministry. But we want you to seriously seek the Lord on this. We believe that God has gifted you, called you to serve, and so seek the Lord as to how you can do that. Again, we just want to make it as simple as possible for you. So text the word SERVE to 910-424-1298 to start that process. But for us today, as we're worshiping the Lord together, any other announcements that we have, anything else going on, you can download our app, all right? Uh, Southview Baptist Church app. You can do that at Google Play or iTunes. You can find out all the other announcements, everything that's going on. Uh, here you can give online, find previous services, sermon notes, find a journey group, all those sorts of things. You can go through our app, download that to your phone. That'll get you set up and ready to go with us here. I want to read a scripture to you as we go into our worship time here this morning. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. And as the leadership of Acts 13 is together, Acts 13 verse 2 tells us what they did. Acts 13 verse 2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, what that means and what's happening there. But I want to focus in just for a minute that first part of that verse. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them. People ask me all the time, how do I know what God's will for my life is? How do I know what the next step is? How do I know if God wants me to do this or wants me to do that or do there or go here? What, what, how do I know what I'm supposed to do next? And I really believe step one in that is doing right now what you know you're supposed to do and trust that God will provide whatever next step needs to be provided when it needs to be provided. So what is the step for today? Well, the same thing that they did in Acts 13. They just sat before the Lord as a group and worshipped Him. As they sat before the Lord and worshipped Him, sang to Him, prayed, it says here they were fasting, just setting aside worldly needs because they, they ultimately realized they needed God even more than they needed food. They just set themselves before the Lord and said, we need you, we want you, we desire you, we long for you. We ask you that you would fill us and speak to us, and minister to us. We just set ourselves before you and worship you. And that's what I'm going to ask us to do here today. It's what we want to do every day, not just on Sunday mornings. But I want us to come together collectively here today. They came together, they worshiped the Lord. So I want to ask if we'll just bow our heads for a moment. I want to pray for us. Again, the worship is more than just singing. Worship is about the heart, not necessarily the lips. And so is your heart set before God? Is, are your thoughts towards God right now? Are you seeking after Him? I want to encourage you that you would do that. Set your heart, set your mind, set your attention, set your focus, set your affection on Him. Set aside all these outside things that I know have just been running around. Sunday mornings are never nice and easy and simple, especially if you have a family. There's always something going on. But I want to ask just for a second, we'll set all that aside. 
let's focus our hearts on the Lord. We're worshiping Him and trusting Him that God is going to minister to His people. So God, we worship You today. By worshiping You, what we mean is we set You up today, right now, as the most glorious, amazing, perfect, only one worthy of worship. God, your love for us, your care for us, your protection over us is just amazing. We ask you, Lord God, today that you would stir in us deeper and deeper and deeper hunger, longing, affection, love for you, a deeper worship, a deeper setting other things aside and just setting our hearts on you, not just in this room, but as we live our lives. I pray, God, that you would do this in us, just like they did in Acts 13. I pray for us here this morning. We gather together for the point of worshiping and asking you to do in us whatever it is you want to do. We trust you, Lord. Do this in your people today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us. As we sing and celebrate the freedoms we have in Christ. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
seated. One of my absolute favorite, favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount. And as we sing that song, just talking about the blessings of God, how great and glorious and amazing He is, how He takes us as people who are prone to wonder and go our own way, and He takes us and He ties us to Himself says, you may, you may leave, but I never will. Like I, I jokingly say to my wife, if you're ever going to leave me, go ahead and pack my bag too, because I'm going with you. And, and that's kind of what God is saying in that song to us. If you ever want to leave, that's, that's great. Like, I'm coming with, but I mean, whatever. He, he ties you to himself. He says, I'm never going to let you go. You know, we talk about can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? The question isn't can you lose Jesus? The question is can Jesus lose you? And the answer to that question is no, he can't. He can't ever lose you. He has you. And, and with that, that's something that really pushes us in our prayers. Knowing that God has never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's with us forever. So we call out to him in prayer. And and what we will try to do on Sundays is take a little bit of time to pray together. We do it for a couple of reasons. One, just because there's something about us corporately praying together. But then second, there's something significant about us just kind of modeling and teaching what prayer looks like. And, and one of the aspects of prayer that I want to focus in today is us and our need to pray for other people. First um, Thessalonians 5.25, the Apostle Paul tells this church, brothers pray for us. And I think it's significant that the Apostle Paul is asking specifically that people pray for him. We, we sometimes, I talk to people and, and they don't want to ask someone to pray for them because they feel like, well, I don't want to burden anyone or there are some more important things going on or I don't want the focus to be on me. No, the Bible specifically tells us to ask other people to pray for us. There's something significant about that, us praying for one another. And so I want to take a little time here this morning and do that. Us praying for one another, lifting up requests before the Lord. Um, I want to mention two people specifically that I want us to be praying for. Uh, one, Pastor Steve. Um, pastor Steve, he's our uh, adult discipleship pastor. Um, so if you're not aware, Pastor Steve was diagnosed with cancer, went through treatments, and now this past week had surgery uh, and uh, to, to remove uh, uh, cancer. And so he had surgery on Monday. Uh, everything, according to the surgeons, went phenomenally well. They can't find any more cancer in his body. So praise the Lord. We believe that there is healing there. Amen for that. That's awesome. Uh, so now he is going through the recovery process. He's still in the hospital, uh, but going through recovery. Uh, we're hoping, by God's grace, he's going to be able to come home tomorrow. Uh, that is, as of right now, the plan. Uh, so we'll see how today goes. But we want to continue to be praying for him, that God would bring healing to him uh, in his body. And then another that I want to mention to us, uh, Roy Chasen. Um, if you've been around here for long, you know uh, Roy. He's served as a deacon here. He's served as a journey group leader here for, for many years. 
Uh, about a year ago, Roy discovered, uh, it was discovered that he had a tumor in his brain, and so they went in for surgery for that. Um, the understanding was that that was going to be, um, uh, within a couple of weeks, he was going to be home and everything was going to be great, and, and it has just not gone that direction. So now we're creeping up on a year uh, that he has either been in the hospital or in some form of rehab. Uh, so we want to take a little time to pray for Roy as well. We're starting to maybe see a little bit of turn even just this week uh, to the positive, which is very, very good. We praise the Lord for that. We want to take a little time to pray for him as well. And I know for you, you probably have people on your hearts uh, that you're praying for and want to encourage you to be doing that also. Uh, so let's take a second. And right now, I want every person in this room to pray for someone other than you. All right? Whether this, the, the gentleman that I uh, mentioned, Pastor Steve or, or Roy, or someone else that you have on your mind. The Bible is clear of two things. One, we are to ask people to pray for us. And two, we are to pray for other people. Right? And so I want us to take some time this morning right now and you pray for someone other than you. Whether it's someone else on your heart or uh, someone in this room, whoever that might be. So let's take just a minute and just whoever it is God has laid on your hearts, let's lift them up before the Lord. Okay? just um, when I want to lift up these two men specifically I pray for Pastor Steve I thank you God that you have brought healing to him with cancer and I pray God that you'll bring healing to him as he recovers from his surgery God that you'll just bring strength to him God that his strength will rise even right now at this moment as the, the body is praying for him I pray God that he will literally feel the prayers of the saints and he would be renewed in his strength by you, God. I pray for Roy, God, that you would bring healing to him. I pray, God, for strength in his body. I pray, God, that you would, God, allow, um, God, whatever it needs to happen, next steps for treatment, I pray, Lord, that you'll just be clear in that and open up, obviously, the next steps for that, and they'll just be able to follow you. I pray, God, just your blessings on him, that you would bring him to full, complete, total recovery by your power, Jesus. And I pray for your body here at Southview. I ask you, God, that you would stir up in us, God, a hunger, a desire, a push, a call, a drive to pray a lot for other people. I pray for every person in this room that we would consistently seek to lift up others around us. And I pray, God, that you would empower us as well, Lord, to be honest enough and humble enough to ask others to pray for us. I pray that we would allow the body to be the body. And we would minister to one another well in prayer. And I ask that you'll do this. And we'll see much answer to prayer. And we'll minister to each other in phenomenal ways. Do this in us for your glory, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find two things. Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. We're going to hit both. So you can find one. Be in 11 and put your finger in 13. It's probably just one page over. But uh, let's find Acts 11 and 13. So quick recap. So for the last few weeks, we took a little break last week for Father's Day. But for a few weeks before that, we were looking in Acts chapter 11 at this church in Antioch. So some Christians show up in Antioch and start sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people, which was a big deal. People started getting saved. Gentiles started getting saved. As a result of that, a church starts to get formed in Antioch. And it's ultimately going to become one of the most significant, important churches in the history of Christianity. And what we've been doing is taking a few weeks to dive into this church at Antioch and ask, what is it that they did And what is it that we need to glean from that and what is God calling us to do as we see this? So we've seen a few things. Number one, we saw that they were very serious and intentional about making disciples in their city. Number two, they were very serious and intentional about making disciples around the world. And three, they did all of this because they were empowered by the fact that the hand of God was on them. And so we started first a few weeks ago looking at that third point, the idea that God's hand was on them. It literally says the hand of the Lord was on them, and as a result, these things happened. So we, we spent a little time kind of unpacking what that means. And as we seek to individually submit ourselves to the Lord and, and, and seek to live empowered by His Spirit's Through his word, we're more and more and more living under the power, authority, blessing of the hand of God. We're able to see great things happen as a result. I'll give you a historical example of that as to what happens when a group of Christians decide to just set themselves under the hand of God and ask him to do whatever it is he wants to do. So in in the 1720s, there was a little settlement in Germany called the Hernuts. All right? So the Hernuts community in Germany. And it was a hot mess, all right? They were a they were a dumpster fire. I don't know what the German word is for dumpster fire, but they were that. They were divided, they were bickering, they were sinful. It was not good. If you could pinpoint a place in the world where a powerful historic movement of God was going to happen, you would not pick the Hernet community in Germany in the 1720s. However, there was a small group of people within that community, 24 men and 24 women. They started to get stirred by God that God could do something, desired to do something in their community. So 24 men and 24 women decided that they were going to get selected a time slot and they were going to pray 24 hours a day. Right, so 24 men, 24 women, two men and a woman picked an hour and for 24 hours they just prayed. So they did that for a day and then they did it for two days and then they did it for three days and then it became a week, two weeks, a month, a year. And they just kept praying around the clock. And the leader of this little group was a man named Count Zinzendorf, which sounds like, you know, a bad guy in a Marvel movie. 
But Count Zinzendorf led this little group. And he said, in the book of Leviticus, it was commanded that the fire could never go out in the the place of God, in the, the Holy of Holies. In the same way, the church is the temple of God, and the fire of prayer should never go out in us either. And so 24 hours a day, they just prayed, they just prayed, they just prayed, they just prayed, they just prayed. And God began to stir phenomenally. It grew and it grew and people started getting convicted and saved and repenting and forgiving one another. And this little community began to experience the hand of God. So they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And they continued praying 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for over 100 years. And as a result, they sent out hundreds of missionaries. They only had 300 people in this little community. And they sent out, the first 65 years, they sent out 300 people. 300 people lived there, and they sent out 300 people in six decades. And it all happened because they sought to actively live under the hand of God as the people of God. So we see that in Antioch. And as they lived under the hand of God, this next thing they did, we saw a couple weeks ago, was they actively sought to make legitimate, real disciples in the city that God called them to. Right? So they, they proclaimed a pure gospel that you must turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. You must turn from your sin, yourself, your life, and turn to Jesus. Jesus had to lay down his life in order to save you, and you must lay down your life in order to be saved. It, it does demand something from you. And then once that happens in someone's life, then they just start to pour God's word into them over and over and over and over and over until they look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. And then we'll see this next part today. As they lived under the hand of God and they sought to make disciples in the city that God had called them to, then God began to stir up in them that there are other people out there who need to hear hear about Jesus as well. What are we going to do about that? So that's where we pick it up for today, all right? And as we see all this happening, here's going to be the big idea that I want you to understand. Here's the big idea for us. A church should not be judged by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Here's what I mean by that. In the future, our success as a church is not going to be determined by how many people we can fit in this room, by how much money is in our bank account, or how many buildings we can build on this property. Looking into the future, the success of Southview Baptist Church is going to be determined by how many people and resources we sent out to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. The point of this is not for it to just implode in on us. The point of this is not just for us to, to, to just be here for one another, although that's significant and important. But there's a second element to this, that as we're doing this, there is something else that will happen. And at the end of the day, a church is to be judged, not by how many people it can fit in a room, but by how many people and resources and money and energy and time it's spent sending the gospel out. If your desire is solely to see how many people we can cram into 4089 Elk Road, you need a new pastor. I'm not that guy. That is not God's call on me, 
And for the record, it ain't his own year either. But we got to make sure we understand that. A church is to be judged not by its seating capacity, but by its sending. How many people can we send out to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth? This is exactly what they did in Antioch. So let's take a look at it. Let's start first in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, all right? Acts eleven twenty-seven. So here's what's going on. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So, okay. A prophet by the name of Agabus came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and as they're worshiping together, he stands and says, hey, there's going to be a, a, a famine that hits, and we come to find out that that is indeed true. Between the uh, years of 46 A.D. and 48 A.D., a severe famine hit the region of Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, specifically because the Nile River flooded, and it completely destroyed Roman uh, uh, agriculture uh, systems and trade routes and all that sort of thing. So a, a famine indeed hit. So here's what they said in verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So when the church hears about this, the very first thing they do is they say, well, we need to help. Right? So the very first thing they do is send money. Right? This is what we do here. We collect offerings. We do things to help other churches and other ministries and other things outside of us. Right? We take up Lottie Moon Christmas offering and any Armstrong Easter offering because we want to see the gospel go out. We want to see other churches help. We do Baptist relief. We do things like that because there are people that are in need and we believe we're called by God. We have a scriptural mandate to help them according to our abilities. exactly what they did in Antioch and exactly what God is calling us to do as well. So you see the first thing they're doing is they're freely sending money. They're freely sending their resources to help some other church that they probably will never visit or be a part of. But the Jerusalem church sent to them people like Barnabas and Agabus to help them and minister to them and care for them and lead them. So they said, well, the least that we can do is send money. But they didn't just send money. Skip over to chapter 13. What else did they do? Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and it lists them. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. All right, so it gives a list here. All right, so here, these were a group of leaders at Antioch. They're called prophets and teachers. They were sort of, think pastors, all right? So this is, this is their staff meeting, all right? These are the pastors of the church at Antioch, right? So you got Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy that was sent down from Jerusalem to check things out at Antioch and see how he can help. Next, you have a guy, he's called Simeon, who's also called Niger. More than likely, he is of African descent. And possibly, it's neat, this could even be the same Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus when Jesus was on the way being crucified. Could be the same guy, we don't know, but things seem to kind of line up historically with that. 
Then you're uh, introduced to a guy named Lucius of Cyrene. You know who he is? Me neither. Not a clue. For the record, no one does. Totally anonymous. <laughs> then you have a guy named Manan, uh, which is really interesting. It says that he's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod, this is the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and mocked Jesus. Not a Christian, right? But apparently, as Herod is seeing all these happening, these things happening with Jesus, and he's thinking, this is idiot, this is a dumb thing, I'm going to kill this guy, he means nothing to me. This other guy, this lifelong friend, Manan, is standing right beside him, and he's hearing the same message, and while it is just falling off Herod's heart, he's not getting anything, Manan, it is just pinging. It's a harpoon from heaven, just wow. And this Manan, evidently, not only becomes a Christian, but becomes a pastor, even though he was raised probably in a lot of wealth, a lot of influence, dear lifelong friend of one of the most influential men in the Roman Empire. And he turned all of that aside because he, knew he needed to know and love and serve Jesus. And then last, Saul, the pro, uh, former persecutor of the church turned great apostle. So you got this list, and here's what happens in verse 2. Again, we read this earlier. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So as they're, as they're praying, they're not necessarily looking for anything to happen. They're just praying. They're worshiping. They're fasting. They're praying. They're spending time together with the Lord. And in the midst of all of this, God speaks to them and says, I want you to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. What, what's the work? Well, if you go back in Acts chapter 9, when God saves Saul, you'll see what the work is. Saul was called to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. That was the work that they were being called out to do. And then you see in verse 3 what happens. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's so interesting. You don't see any pushback. You don't see anyone pushing back on them. God calls out Barnabas and Saul to leave that church and go do something else. And what do they do as a response? Verse 3, they fasted, they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. Can you imagine? I mean, I, again, I go back to our original thought and idea of we need to be judged by our, seating, by our sending capacity, not our seating capacity. So, you ever watch the show, uh, I think it was on a &E, Hoarders. You ever seen that show? Right? So, basically the idea is people, um, usually there's some kind of significant trauma in their life. There's something going on. And as a result, they, they just, they're hoarders. They, they can't throw anything away. Everything is, they, they keep garbage from a decade ago, right? So there's something going on psychologically there where it's just, it is a block, they can't get rid of anything, and it destroys their lives. It literally just destroys them. I think as a church in America, we're just spiritual hoarders. Our goal is to see how many people and resources we can fit into our building and do everything we can to never, ever, 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 ever let them go. We're going to hold on to them and squeeze them tight. Because at the end of the day, us making sure we're the strongest 
is the most important thing. That's not what they see doing here. It's not what they did in Antioch. I mean, can you imagine they got to go to the church and go, okay, guys, we really believe God has said that it's time for Barnabas and Saul to leave us and, and, and go do work somewhere else. Can you imagine if that was a Baptist church? Right? would be like, what? Send Lucius. Nobody even knows who that guy is. Right? Not Barnabas. I love Barnabas. That guy's encouraging. It's literally his name. Saul. I learned so much from Saul. No, not those guys. What's wrong? Is something wrong with us? Why are they leaving? Well, because a church is not to be judged by how many people it can cram into its own room, but how many people and resources it can send out to see the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. At the end of the day, we are a sending organization. We're Southern Baptists, and I love being Southern Baptist, um, but there's something that I think we've kind of messed up. So in, in Southern Baptist life, we have what's called the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board. And they're our primary mission-sending organizations. And we give money to support those organizations and send off. But what's happened is this. We've lost sight of the fact that the church is to be the primary church-planting, sending, missionary organization, not those entities. And so what we do is we put all of it on that. And so they're going to do the sending, and our job is to do what we can to cram as many people into this room while they're doing that business. No, 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 no. Our job is to send out. It's exactly what they did. In, in, in fact, so keep that word send in your mind. Let's look at the two main verses here. So first, Acts eleven twenty nine, and then 1, Acts 13, 3. So look at Acts eleven twenty nine. So the disciples determined... Everyone according to his ability to, what's the word? Send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And then Acts 13, 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and, what's the word? Sent them off. A church is to be judged by its sending capacity. How are we doing as a sending organization. So they sent, and as a result, Paul goes off, and in chapters 13 and 14, you see historically what's happening here. It's known for us as Paul's first missionary journey. You probably have a map in the back of your Bible that, uh, that kind of maps it out, and you can kind of see how this thing goes. And so as you look at the map, what you see is, so on the far right, you see Antioch, right there above Syria. That's where they start. And so they go south down to Cyprus, and then they go up to a region called Pamphylia, right? And then they'll go through there to Galatia, to a different Antioch, down to Iconium. They'll hang a Ue, come down through Derb, and go back around through. Again, this is Paul's first missionary journey. In this, this is where he starts planting the churches in Galatia, where you get the book of Galatians. Um, this is where you'll see um, God doing such an amazing work in through areas uh, like Cyprus, where you're going to see later on Titus going to the churches of Cyprus to minister to them and set up elders. That's where the book of T Titus comes in. All because two men said to be willing to go, and one church said, we'll take you. A massive chunk of your New Testament 
And the first real missions effort for Christianity happened because two guys in a church said, I think God's calling me. And that congregation said, we'll pay for it and help you do it. Two guys said, we'll go. And a church said that we'll send you. And as a result, you literally have Christianity spreading to the ends of the earth beginning that process. We are called to sin, which brings us back to our big idea. A church is not to be judged by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. How many are we going to send out? So, to kind of put some flesh and bone on this, I'm going to give you a few things to think through, all right? A few big points. Point number one is this. Everyone is called to live sent. What I mean by that is this. Every person in this room, you are a missionary. Our goal is for every person in this room to believe, if you believe by faith in Jesus Christ, you are called by God to be a missionary. That doesn't mean that you have to move to some far-flung part of the globe. What that means is this. God has placed you where he's placed you on purpose to be a missionary. So we show you regularly a map of Cumberland County. All right, so we got a map of Cumberland County. If you can see, we've got little red dots all over the place. That represents where you live. If you are a member of Southview Baptist Church, you've got a red dot on that map. And what we consistently tell you is this. Our goal is for you to own your dot. You are called as a missionary to your dot. Where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where your kids play, you are called by God to be a missionary. We want you to live sent. This is why we do things like Halloween. Instead of doing a big fall festival here, we ask you to go to your dot and set up shop right there. And say, look, this is the one night a year where 100 families are going to come through and knock on your door and just ask you to give them stuff. Let's use that as an opportunity to engage with them. We typically have between 15 and 20 families that do that. I'm asking God to give us 100 for this Halloween. That means that you're going to have to step up and do it. Why? Because we believe that we're called by God to live sin. Do you see your neighborhood as your mission field? Do you see where you work as your mission field? Do you see where you go to school as your mission field? This is where you're called by God to live sent so that by God's grace, we can see people come to faith in him. So on one hand, we talk about our sending capacity. I don't just mean people moving away to go do work, go do mission work or plant churches or anything like that. Step one of us as a church living sent is that we understand being in church does not mean you just sit in this building for an hour or so a week. It means that when we say amen, we leave sent out on mission. Cumberland County will be reached and will be changed as we live sent. You are a missionary called by God. Live that way. Pray for your neighborhood, pray for your workplace, pray for your school, pray for your softball team, pray for them. Ask God that he will use you.
to be a missionary. Your kids' sports teams. So I've coached my kids' teams for years. And so we coached soccer. Uh, So for years my kids played soccer. And I was the coach. I did it for two reasons. One, i got to be there anyway. I'm just going to yell. I might as well be allowed to yell and wear a whistle. (laughs) Two, it was an opportunity for us as a family to engage with people that we would not have engaged with otherwise. We looked at it as an opportunity to live sins. Engaging with those families, building relationships with those families, and by God's grace, maybe seeing some of those families come to faith in Jesus and being able to disciple them. We look for every opportunity to live sins. So when we talk about living sin, it doesn't necessarily even mean that you do anything different. It's you doing what you're going to do tomorrow anyway, but you do it with a different vision, heart, mindset. You see, no, no. I go to work as a missionary. I go to school as a missionary. I, I, I walk my neighborhood as a missionary, prayer walking, asking God to move in the hearts of my neighbors. Live sins. Second is this. Everyone is, of us is called to live sins. Second, every one of us is called to help send out. So there are going to be people who go, and we'll chat about that in just a minute. But in order for that to happen, there has to be people that help them go. This is exactly what we saw with Paul, Barnabas, and the church at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas said, God's called us to go. And the church at Antioch said, amen, we affirm that. We're going to bless you, send you off with financial support and help and prayer. So for us, as we are called, everyone in this room is called by God to help send out. You do that by praying, and you do that by giving. We need you to pray we need you to pray for those who are, going, who are sent out, and we need you to help financially support them. So think of it kind of like this. Um, if you've ever been uh, rock climbing or, or, or spelunking or anything where you go down, so, uh, or, or if you've ever been in a, in a situation where you've seen on TV or maybe you've even done this in your career where someone is in an, an accident or trapped down below and someone has to go down on a rope to rescue them. So what happens? Someone goes down on the rope, And someone else stands up top and holds the rope. And what we're saying is this. As missionaries are going down to see people saved, we need people who are standing up top holding the rope. And you do that through your prayer and through your financial support. I want you to pray and I want you to give. You just want my money. It's not all I want, but yeah. I totally want you to give your money for this. I absolutely do. Because it's the best return on investment. You are promised by God you're going to see a eternal, eternal return for this. Every person in this room is called to support, either through prayer or financial support or by God's grace, both. And then third is this. Some of us must be obedient to go. So let's just kind of dig down here just for a minute. Some of us must be obedient to God to go. We cannot be ascending church if there's no one to send. And so there are several ways that you can go. Short term, medium term, and long term. Let's chat about those just for a second. So first is short term. Short term is like a one week to ten day mission trip. 90% of the people in this room can do that, and I think that you should. I think you should take your kids 
I think you should go. If you have some kind of problem, some kind of physical issue, some concern where you physically can't do it, then obviously you can't do it. But we do enough different kinds of trips where the vast majority of people, we can find something for you to do. You can go. I'm not saying you got to go re-roof a house, all right? We can find stuff for you to do. You need to go. Again, it's my desire, my vision that we get to the point where 40 weeks out of the year we have trips somewhere in the world where people in this church out sharing the gospel, ministering in Jesus' name. The only way that happens is if you are willing to go. And I believe the vast overwhelming majority of people in this room, you can go. You can do it. And I believe that you should. I absolutely believe that you should. Second, what's called medium-term trips. Medium-term trips are a year to two years. You're like, that doesn't sound very medium. That sounds big. A year to two is what's considered a medium-term trip. And I want to specifically focus in on something just for a minute. The main people I want to talk to about a medium-term trip are people who are at what's called transition points. You graduated high school, you graduated college, or you've retired. You are at the perfect spot for a medium-term trip. If you have graduated high school recently, you're graduating college, or you are entering into retirement, I want you to ask God if he wants you to give a year or two of your life on the mission field. I want you to do that. I'm like, whoa, I've been going to church for years. Nobody's ever said that. That's what put us into the problem because we're judging our, our success by how many people we can fit in this room and that is not the way that thing works biblically. I want you to consider this. Is God going to call every high school graduate, college graduate, or retiree to a year or two of mission work? Nope. No, I don't think so. But I think every high school Christian graduate, every Christian college graduate, and every Christian retiree should at least ask God if he wants you to. The brother of Jesus, James, in his book, named after him, James, said that there are things that you do not have because you do not ask. And I think the real reason many of us do not feel called by God to do something like this is not because God's not calling, but because you've never actually asked him. You've never actually asked him. You have just assumed, you have gone down the current of this world doing everything that everyone else does. And you've never stopped to think, well, maybe God doesn't want me to do that. Maybe he wants to do something else. Ask him. Maybe he says no. That's great. But for some of us in this room, he's going to say yes. For our high school graduates, our college graduates, I've told you numerous times, I am fighting for the Mormonization of our church. Right? Beside the whole believe a lie and go to hell thing. But these 18, 19, 20-year-old Mormon kids that give two years of their life to go what? Spread a lie? And we have the gospel truth? You've got plenty of time to work a job you don't really like. Give two years to something that matters. You've got plenty of time for that. Give a couple of years to something that matters. We will help you do that. For the retirees, ask God what he wants the next chapter of your life to look like. 
that you could be used by him to further the kingdom. Don't waste that time. Don't waste that time. It's a gift from God. Use it to further the kingdom. And then last is this long term. So some short term. The, the vast majority of us can do short term. A smaller group is going to be called out of this room to do medium term. And then there's a smaller group than that that God's calling you to long term. And by that I mean full time vocational Christian ministry. God's calling you to quit your job and go into ministry. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord on this. Is God calling you to full-time ministry? Is God calling you as a career, whether it be to pastor a church, plant a church, be on staff at a church, be a missionary, whatever it is God's calling you to do, is God calling you? And again, I've, I've said it before and I'll say this again, I think because of the uniqueness of where we live, the fact that we're right here at Fort Bragg, we have thousands and thousands thousands of young men that are going to be told you have to have another career right if you have a long career you would do a long you're 20 years in what at 40 you're retiring i mean at the time where everyone else is just finally cranking up in their career you're being told you got to do something new and that can be that can be a little nerve-wracking and I don't know what God's plan and call for you is, but I believe every Christian man transitioning out of the military, if, you're, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe you should at least make it a day's worth of prayer of asking God, is that something that you would like for me to do? Is this what you're calling me to? Maybe the answer is going to be no. I think for the majority the answer is probably going to be no, so don't worry. But I think, again, the reason we have not... How in the world, how in the world can we live in a city with thousands of men who are going to be forced to do another job and we do not lead the world, lead the world in church planters and missionaries and pastors coming from this town? How in God's name is that even possible? Because we've never even thought to ask him for it. There are things you do not have because you have not asked. We should lead the world in sending. Lead the world in it. And there's no good reason why we can't. Other than the fact that we never think to ask God for it and never think to go after it hard in Jesus' name. I believe God is desiring to do that in this place. So for you, I want to give you a quick next step. If you believe that you would like to chat about short-term, medium-term, or long-term, all right? You'd like to go on a week-long trip at some point. You're, you're interested in finding out more about giving a year or two on the mission field. Or maybe you believe God might be calling you to actually give your life to the ministry. I'm very simply just going to ask you to text the word go. Again, just super simple. All right? Text go. 910-424-1298. Just text go. You're going to mark on there what you're interested in, short-term, medium-term, long-term. You can check one, all, many, none. Just as an opportunity to say, you know what, I, I just feel like God might be calling me. Again, I've already told you, I think every person in this room, barring maybe three or four, should go on a short-term trip. So you at least, you got that. 
I believe at transition points, everyone should be asking God, what is it that you want me to do? Should I spend extra time a year or two on the mission field before I go to the next stage in life? And also, there are some in this room, God's calling you to full-time ministry. God's calling you. We want to help you go. We want to help you go. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me, and our, our band's going to come up. So again, a church is to be judged not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. And the only way we can send people out is if they say they're willing to go. So for you right now, a couple of things. Number one is this. Again, every person in this room, is there a really good legitimate reason why you can't spend a week of your year out seeking to share the gospel and minister in Jesus' name somewhere other than where you live? Is there a really good reason for that? Maybe there is. Maybe you have a great reason. But I believe that is the minority and not the majority. Will you just set your yes on the table right now with the Lord and say, God, I, I'll do that. I don't know when. I don't know where. We don't know when and where. We haven't been able to set up any trips yet because of the last year and a half. But if you're willing to do that, you're saying, I, yes, I want to do that. Wherever it is you're leading me, however it is you're doing that, God, I want, I want to do that. Set that before the Lord today and tell him. Are you coming up on a transition point in life? Are you willing to at least, again, set that yes on the table and say, Lord, I am saying yes. If this, I'm already telling you yes if that's what you want me to do. The question isn't whether or not you're going to say yes or no. You've already said yes. Now you're just asking the Lord if he wants to take that or not. Are you willing to set that yes on the table and say, you do anything with my life you want to do? And what about full-time ministry? Have you set that yes on the table as well? Say, God, I'll do anything you tell me to. I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. Whatever it is, I'll do it. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Talking about the fact that we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reasons to praise and glorify God. He has given us 10,000 reasons to glorify His name. And He has given you 10,000 reasons to live sent. He has changed you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has made you right. He has absolutely transformed the person that you are. He has done so many phenomenal things in you, in your marriage, in your kids. He's just been showing himself faithful time and time and time and time and time and time again. And those are all the reasons that we are to live sent so that other people can experience that kind of relationship with God also. We are to live since, are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. If you need to come forward and spend some time on this altar, 
seeking God about this, confessing and repenting about the fact that you have not been willing to go, or maybe praising God about the fact that that is settled in your heart. Maybe seeking the Lord about what that next step is. Whatever that is, let's worship together, seeking to live lives sent to the glory of God. Lord God, I ask that you would do this in us. That you would stir up in us, God, the fact that Jesus, you came, you were sent to save us. And as followers of Christ, we now live sent claim your gospel in this community in our country and around the world do this God for your glory pray this in Jesus name amen let's stand let's worship the Lord bless the Lord oh my soul
thousand plus infinity reasons that that our hearts just sing to you. And I pray, God, that you would stir this up in us. Again, as I think about the church in Acts, God, because they were worshiping you, you raised up men and sent them out. So I pray, God, that we'll just do that. We just worship you, lifting up our voices for those thousands of reasons why you're just so great. And as we do that, you're going to raise up and send out as you see fit. And we'll just praise you for that. Thank you, God. Do your great work in your people for your glory. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. You are now sent out.